Okay, welcome to another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast. I'm pleased to be joined once again by Peter Harling of Dauber Prospects, Dauber Prospects Radio. Pete, it's been a while. I understand you're back to work. How are you doing? Doing good, man. Doing good. Staying safe and healthy and all that. Yeah. Back to work. So the DBR shows on the back burner to say the least since I've been back to work. But uh, the good thing about being a guest on a podcast is there's like zero production time that goes into it. I just have to show up and record it. I don't have to edit it or do anything. So that's a real time saver. And the, uh, and the show prep time is a little bit smaller too. So I can absolutely guess anytime. Yeah, I, uh, I miss those days. <laughs> Busy is good. That's for sure. Yeah, this this is how like, I don't know, I do no socializing outside of my own work time. So I go home and I hop into the idea machine and try to come up with uh, with new podcasts. This has become less of a hobby and more of an obsession and uh, I'm loving it. Good stuff. Well, your shows have been great. Um, what did you want to talk about today? Uh, well, today, you know, I haven't had uh, I haven't had your take on the the 24 team play in format that the NHL settled on and kind of the the hub the hub city approach that they're going to be diving into. And I noticed you you tweeted out something about uh, the NBA, uh, w- what their approach to the media coverage within their quarantine bubble and what that's going to entail uh, for like the next three months in Disney World and. Would you be willing to uproot yourself to go cover a sport for like three months under these conditions where you might be like locked in and not allowed to leave the bubble? Yeah, I think that would be a hoot. Um, You know, if I had the opportunity to get a job working in hockey like and drawing a paycheck for it, I would jump at that. Uh, If it meant uprooting myself for a short period of, you know, three months or whatever and, and isolating myself from my family, that would be difficult. Um, but my kids are growing up a little bit more now, so it wouldn't be as hard as it would have been, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago. Um, yeah, I'd be willing to give that a shot. I think as long as people that you work with and are around are, are kind of cool and kind of fun, it could be a good time. Yeah, I'm with you. Like I, I don't have kids. I don't, I'm not taking care of a family or anything like that. So I'm, I'm in a privileged situation where if the opportunity was there and, the, the big thing that came out is expenses aren't going to be covered going into Disney World and nor would you necessarily want them to uh, as a journalistic endeavor. Like they would have to be covered by your employer, but not necessarily by the sports league that you're going in there to cover. So you mentioned your family. Have you looked into like what the price for living at Disney World for like a week is? No. I, 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 I can't imagine it's like... Reasonable. It can't be open. It can't be open right now, right? Well, no, so, like it's not open. Yeah. But like, I'm sure going in there and whatever amenities they have, like they're not going to make it affordable for people to come in there. Like they're gonna they're gonna make some coin off of this endeavor. I think. You know what it makes me think of is um, having this this small little community of athletes and media living together in in their own little biodome kind of thing. It makes me think of the uh, uh, Olympic village when the olympics are on all the olympic athletes and the media that cover the olympics they all live in sort of semi-isolation and during the couple of weeks of the olympics it's only a couple of weeks as opposed to a couple of months but like the nhl players i've heard a couple of times different players talking about their experience at the olympics and um gretzky was on the uh, suspendables podcast and he said it again there that 
you know, the, the, the millionaire athletes were worried about the reception they got when they went to the Olympics and, and how everyone thought that they would want to be segregated and be separate and have their own little, little thing. And, but he was like the players best part of it was staying with the athletes. It was, it was a blast. That was the, almost as much fun as winning the gold medal. So I think it, it could be what you make it right. It could be a good time. Yeah. It's going to be like the Olympic village, but uh, without all the fornicating. Well, to each his own. <laughs> you know, I, I was thinking that we're, we're just coming off of the last dance documentary. Wouldn't this just be like the most fantastic opportunity for a sports league to go in and document what the hell happens in this bubble and then come out a year later and be like, look, this is all the behind the scenes stuff that happened. Like we watched at the NHL do 24 seven. There've been a bunch of European soccer teams that have done these kind of insider documentaries on their teams over the years. This is just like the next level because you've got all these teams trapped in one place. So you could jump from team to team to team to team with all this great insider footage. It certainly is a tremendous opportunity for that. And, you know, hey, if the NHL starts up in August or whenever as they want to say they want to go, um, I don't think they'll have a lot of competition with other sports. So it's a really good opportunity to uh, increase their market share. Yeah, that's interesting. Like the NBA, I think they're going to be restarting at around the same time. And I think a a bunch of other leagues are, are slowly starting to creep up. And one of the things that's come out uh, from this idea of pushing the season back and how next season probably isn't going to start until maybe the winter classic on January 1st. And so that means we're going to have another set of playoffs in the summer is this idea of the NHL pushing their schedule back to like a January start permanently to avoid the NFL, like an early viewership and attendance and all that stuff skyrockets in January once the NFL season is over and NBA teams are looking at doing the same thing. And for me, I just think, I don't know, blasphemous. Ultimately, hockey, you're, you've got your niche. Focus on your niche. Don't change the schedule necessarily because this year's an exception. But how many people are going to tune in for playoffs in July, August regular? Yeah, I'd rather be in the yard um, than watching hockey in the, in the summer because I only get a few months of really good weather. So I don't, uh, I don't mess around with it. Um, one thing that I would personally like about that, about the NHL not starting until January, would be there would be a lot more exposure for the hockey star of market in Canada to broadcast more junior games and minor league games if the AHL started in advance. The CHL would certainly start and the NCAA would certainly always play in the school year. So it might create an opportunity for more exposure to those leagues, which, you know, I'm, I'm real passionate about the junior hockey. So that could be good, but um, that's just for me. I think for hockey in general, it, I'm not sure it would be good. I, I see your, your point about not wanting to compete with the NFL, but I'm not sure if that increased market share that you pick up in January would ride throughout the entire season. Um, I'd rather see the NHL start earlier than October. I'd rather see them start in mid-September, start a couple weeks earlier than they do, or even close to a month earlier, um, and end the season in the spring, not in the summer. But that's just me. 
Yeah, selfishly, I, I think that I'm with you as well on making the schedule go even earlier. And obviously, we're now that we know that seasons are going to be getting pushed back, we're quite a few years away from potentially being able to do that. But just thinking about like the NBA, I would be perfectly fine if they want to start on with their their famous Christmas Day games, I should say. Um, if they want to start their season then and complete the NBA finals in August, I'm cool with that. And then as a fan of both the NHL and NBA, I can watch their playoffs and not have that overlap where I'm constantly bouncing in between and multiple screens. And it, I don't get my full attention on the stuff that really matters. So selfishly for me, NHL, keep your schedule as it is. NBA, push it back a few months and I'm going to be a happy camp. Yeah. I think a lot of people have hockey pool draft traditions around a certain time of year too and i think if the nhl always started their season way in, in closer to christmas it might be difficult for the boys to get together when it's you know christmas holiday time uh as opposed to it is in the first week of october so i don't think the nhl takes that into consideration but again that's just a personal selfish preference on my part yeah i'm not sure fantasy hockey uh quite pulls in the same the same kind of influence that uh fantasy football does on the n f l um so pete your uh your toronto maple leafs they're facing a play in matchup against the Columbus blue jackets who are suddenly going to be healthy how are you feeling about uh about a five game series against that team uh pretty good i think uh last year they they beat out the Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round. So, you know, not to be underestimated. I'm sure that will be on the wall in the Leafs locker room going into the series that don't take these guys lightly like Tampa did last year. Look how that worked out for them. But, uh, hey, I like my chances against Columbus a lot more than, than Boston if I'm, uh, if I'm with the Leafs in the first round. That hasn't worked out too well for them in the last couple of years. Yeah, this will be a, an excellent reprieve for them. How much time are, now that we know the play-in matchups, like are, are people just staying up morning, night, watching game film of the team that they're going to be playing? Because they've got months to prep for a five-game <laughs> series. <laughs> yeah, too much time, maybe. Um, yeah, I think you've got enough time to, to really scout out all of the scenarios and all of the teams that you'll be coming up against. Cause I'd like to think that there won't be much layover between series that they'll, they'll win one and move on to the next and start like the next day kind of thing to try and squeeze in as much as they can, as soon as they can. Um, so I think this extended pause in the front will, will give teams all the time they need to prepare against any other team that they might come up against if they win the first round. You can bet that if the Leafs beat Columbus, they're, how, however it has to work out for them to play the Bruins, it's going to happen. You know, when you win a Stanley Cup, you kind of want to slay the dragon on the way there, right? Like the way Washington did with, with Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh had Washington's number just the same way Boston has Toronto. And the year Washington won it, it was they went through Pittsburgh to get there. And you know that made the victory so much more sweeter. So if the Leafs got to go through Boston to win a Stanley Cup, I'm cool with that. Pete, you're exuding quite the amount of confidence. How many White Claws deep are you? <laughs> None today. None today. Uh, I'm just, I'm not saying that the Leafs would absolutely are going to beat 
Columbus, and I'm not saying that they're absolutely going to beat Boston if they come up against them. I think that's that would be very difficult to do. But if they did, man, that'd taste good. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, so who, what team do you think should be the favorites going into this format? Uh, well, this format. Um, I think I like the teams that have the, the seeding round that basically have a bye. And so there's other teams that'll have to win their, their play-in round um, that really should, by all accounts, you logic dictates they, they would have made it anyways, right? So I, I like the teams that are, that are in the buy round, if you want to call it that. Um, so Boston's looking, looking pretty good. Uh, and then your usual favorites, right? You're the champ until you're not. So you got to give St. Louis a lot, of, a lot of respect and credit. They had a good season as well. And their goalie that was lightning in a bottle for them last year is, is still playing well. Uh, Washington's only a year removed. Um, and they still have a pretty good core. Pittsburgh's all in it with Crosby and Malkin. Um, Vegas is such a fun team to watch. They're just so exciting. So I kind of like rooting for Vegas as well, just because it's entertaining hockey. Too bad they won't get to play San Jose this year. My favorite is probably Tampa Bay, and uh, you would probably include them in that group. Like, they've yeah. they've got the bye. And, and for me, all the teams that have to play in, have to play the play-in round, you've got to now win five series. You have to win 19 games to hoist the cup. And so much of the NHL playoffs is this battle of attrition and just the thought of having to win that many more games is so daunting. Maybe, you know, maybe you have an advantage in like the actual first round after winning your play in matchup, because you're, you know, those games are going to be a lot more intense than the round Robin games. But after that, if you happen to win two rounds, but now you're playing against a team that only played one round, you're going to be so much more beat up than that other team is that got that by. So you're, you're going to be in tough. And specifically for Tampa Bay, I just think that they spent the whole season trying to figure out how to play the game a slightly different way so that they could become matchup proof, right? Like we talk about, there's, there's the way you got to play the team that you got to have to make it to the dance. And then there's the team that you got to have to win the dance. And I think they figured out a great way to have both and they're going to be healthy, right? Like they lost to Columbus. And part of that was Hedman basically had his legs sawed off. could barely play. And yeah. that's their number one minute, minute crunching defenseman. So that, that really tilted things for them. And Columbus, in, in a lot of ways, they figured them out, right? Like they played a style that Tampa Bay just couldn't match. And then Tampa Bay, they're like, we're going to play this different style this year. We're going to try. And then they added a ton of physicality at the deadline with uh, Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow. They're, you know, they're a little bit grittier and they're faster and they're deeper and they're, they're going to be a challenge. And I think that they're built to play all the different styles that they're going to need to, to win it all. And frankly, this is, this is a bit of an odds game, right? They've had the best team for the last three, four years, roughly, you would say. And I don't know, the odds, I, I like their chances. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. You just made me think of this, that, like you said, they've been one of the best teams, if not the best regular season team for the past couple of years. And then they lost in the first round to Columbus, a team that they probably thought they should have steamrolled. And I 
bet you dollars to donuts that they went into this season thinking it's not about the president's trophy, right? Where the playoffs start today and we're going to play with consistency and pace the entire, our entire season out, right? So they had a good season. They didn't dominate the regular season, but they played good and they're in the playoffs, right? I wonder if this big COVID three month hiatus right before the playoffs starts really kind of undermines the, the pace that they were trying to set for themselves going into the entire season. I mean, it certainly breaks it up. I'm not sure if that's bad or not, right? Because they get a break and everyone is in the exact same situation. So no team can use the break as an excuse because every team has it, right? Um, but if, if that was your mentality and in your, in your mindset and the way you were going to play your entire season is we'll, we'll play through the regular season with pace and we'll get to the playoffs and then we'll, we'll try and ramp it up. It's kind of hard to ramp it up after having three months off, right? Like there's three, three seasons in, in every year. There's the preseason, the regular season, and the playoffs. So you've got the preseason and the regular season to warm up for the playoffs. But this year it's just like, no, nah, straight into the fire. No, no warm up. It's, there's been, the off season's already happened, basically, as far as the players are concerned. So what, that, it, what, what impact that has on the intensity level of the playoffs will, will be interesting to see. And another thing that'll be interesting to see is the no fans and how that affects the intensity of the games. I'm reading a book right now called Shattered Ice by Steve Seftel. He's played for the Kingston Frontenacs and he was a couple seasons in the minor leagues. So that's why I'm, I'm reading it because he played for the Frontenacs. And, and one of the parts of the book he talks about in his first or second game in the NHL that he played, he was a, he was a four checking grinder kind of player. Right. And he, they dumped the puck in the other team's end. He ran in for checking and creamed the defenseman who was going to retrieve the puck. And then the puck bounced loose. He turned around and creamed the next guy. And it was his first home game playing for Washington. And the crowd went, went crazy, right? They're all cheering and you're like, yeah, get them. And he's like, that just went, sent so much energy straight to my legs. And it changed the, the momentum of the play for a while in the game. So that's the impact that the fans can have. And um, at a hockey game live and they're not going to have that in the playoffs. So when players make a big hit, are they going to get that same shot energy in their legs and that same momentum? I really don't know. I mean, some European leagues tried it before the quarantine hit the world. And, uh, and I was talking to, to Yoki from Dollar prospects about it. And he was like, it was awful. It was unwatchable. The players were so disengaged because there was no fans. It was like watching beer league hockey. And then they, the league that was in, I think it was Liga, they canceled it like after a weekend. So it'll be interesting if the NHL can, I don't know, maybe they have like canned laughter like you used to have on, on MASH and those old sitcoms or whatever, <laughs> canned cheering. Um, I don't know what they'll do, but it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to like pump in crowd noise or whatever they're thinking of, but I, I do know that there are serious concerns about being able to hear everything that's said on the ice because yeah. we know that is going to cross all of the lines and with the global climate where it is right now you know some stuff's going to get said and maybe it's a good thing if it gets said because then then we know right then we know who's crossing the lines and who isn't um as bad as that would be and i you know 90 percent of the guys are not going to cross those lines but they're going to cross a lot of lines and I think it's going to be 
hilarious if they cross the right ones and not the wrong ones and i want to see them cross the right ones but the nhl doesn't want any part of that stuff so there's going to be something yeah. there's going to be something that prevents us from hearing um what is said on the ice yeah constant music maybe um i think the only things that are really offside uh, on the ice as far as players are concerned are racial slurs or homophobic slurs maybe and then comments about players kids anything else is fair game yeah those are probably the lines yeah i I think pretty much yeah but i think there's a lot of stuff that gets said that would not be received well by the casual hockey fan general public which is which is a significant audience um that doesn't cross one of those two or three lines right um there's yeah. a lot of other people are going to have other lines other people are going to have yeah. a, a lot uh, a lot of other lines yeah so i don't know and maybe even just just isolating on the announcers voices and not having microphones at ice level because i don't know do you really need the the sound of the the skates cutting and the the sound of the slap shot maybe you want that at like a long range mic that doesn't pick up voices but still gets some of those skate scratching noises and stick slapping and pucks hitting glass kind of stuff or players hitting the boards you can have mics on the other side of the board that won't pick up the dialogue maybe but still pick up the the thunder of a of a hard hit i don't know it's it's all new i can't wait to see it actually yeah i just want to see tyler myers get called a giraffe again (laughs) yeah or or worse or better. <laughs> yeah, giraffe. It's it's the it's the perfect. They they didn't go anywhere near any of the lines. Um, you yeah. mentioned uh, you mentioned how tough coming back from this long layoff is going to be. And one of the things that I think we're going to see is which players are the most intrinsically motivated. Which ones have been putting in the absolute maximum amount of work. Like I think that Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, those guys are going to come back and it'll almost be like they weren't even gone. Whereas some of the other guys, they might come back completely out of shape. So it's going to be an interesting test to see which guys have it, which guys don't, and which teams are most populated with those types of players. Yeah, it'll be telling of the culture of that, of that team. Uh, which makes that's a, actually a, a small concern that I would have for a team like Toronto, a team that's full of young players that make a lot of money and haven't really proven anything, really. They've got some nice regular season individual stats and decent regular season records, but you know they haven't won anything. So you know, when you're young, when I was their age, 19 and 20, if I was making millions of dollars, I would probably not be in great shape when I got a couple of months off. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Well, you could take solace that, uh, that Austin Matthews and Freddie Anderson have been going hard down in Arizona. Hopefully. Uh, So let's, uh, let's shift over to the, the kind of the project, the main, the main heart of today's episode. We wanted to rank the uh, the top five and the bottom five teams that we'd most like to become a GM for. Like, what what are the best spots to become a, a new GM? And uh, Pete, 
why don't you kind of go through what methodology did you use? Uh, so personal bias, of course. Um, I think I look at cap situation uh, as one of the, the primary factors. How many, how, how close are they to the cap? What is their long-term cap situation? What kind of terrible contracts do they have? Do they have players who are, aren't aging well in their contracts that are gobbling up cap space? Um, I think if you're trying to recruit players, things like geography and taxes factor into it. So if you want to sign a free agent, um, those are those are huge factors. They can give you leverage over other teams when there's a, a cap on what you can spend. Um, and current roster. Um, and, and I just did a big exercise or just about to complete it with Dover Prospects, ranking the organizational prospects in the in the nhl um so having a team that has a pretty decent or full cupboard of prospects to keep you alive over the next four five six years is probably one of the more important things if your prospect cupboard is barren then you've got to have a really young roster to weather that storm where you don't have any talent coming in in the in the next few years what about you so I, I kind of graded things across four general factors. And then within those factors, I had uh, some sub factors that I, I like I applied uh, a scale of one to 10 factor on. So I like I, I went all out hardcore galaxy brain spreadsheets. And the four main factors for me were the organizational makeup. So like you said, what do they have on the farm? What does their cap situation look like? And then what do they have on the roster, right? Like I want a team with some stars. I don't want to have albatross contracts weighing things down. And I'd love to have a bunch of talent bubbling up, coming up through the system. Like a team who didn't make uh, either my bottom five or my top five was the Carolina Hurricanes. And they graded, they were one of the highest teams just in terms of organizational makeup. They've got a ton of talent in that system they don't have many albatross contracts and both their farm and their nhl team are loaded uh i looked at ownership okay like how stable is that ownership environment um how much loyalty have they have they shown to current gms i don't, I don't want to show up and then immediately they're spitting me out in two years because I didn't immediately turn them into a winner. I want to have an owner who's going to buy into a long-term plan. Uh, I, I Like you, I looked at the market. Am I going to be able to uh, get free agents to come? Am I going to get players to be willing to stay? That sort of thing. Uh, and then legacy. I looked at what is the upside for me if I win with this team? Right. So like every Canadian market was a 10 out of 10 for me because it's been, it's been over 25 years since the Canadian team hoisted the cup. If you win a cup in Canada, you could retire that day and forever be heralded a legend. You never need to buy a drink in that city again. Exactly. So, and then I also looked within that legacy category. Am I taking over for a franchise legend? Like if I go into Detroit and I've got to take over for Stevie Y, like granted Iserman hasn't done a ton for that team yet. He's just starting his rebuild. So if for whatever reason they kicked him out the door, I walked into that position 
where I was, I was a really good GM candidate and I walked into that position, I'd still be replacing a franchise icon. And that probably gets me less leeway. Yeah. And you could also look like teams that have won a boatload of cups recently. There's, there's less upside in that, right? Because they're not going to value it as much. Do you put more emphasis on for your legacy, taking a team that is, that is a doormat as opposed to a team that's a contender? Because if you take over, you know, Pittsburgh and win a Stanley Cup, everything's like, well, what did Steve do? They're already good, right? Yeah, but if, so you take over, if you take over LA and in three years you're picking up a cup, people are like, geez, that's Steve guy. He's got it going on upstairs. Well, I mean, there, so there were three kind of mini dynasties in the past decade with Pittsburgh, LA, and Chicago. So I think if you win there, you're not going to get nearly as much credit. But like, there have been lots of places where teams have put together the bones of a winner and, not, and then changed GMs. And then a new guy steps in and gets them over the hump. And that new guy gets the credit for it. So if you haven't quite gotten over the hump, then there's still a ton of, uh, of legacy to be earned there. So like Tampa Bay, if you took over in Tampa Bay, I think you would get a ton of credit, even though Steve Eiserman and Julian Breesbaugh built that thing. That's it. Yeah. Okay. So Pete, I think we'll, we'll start with our bottom five and We'll go through it kind of one by one. But before we do, we have to address the elephant in the room because we, we cooked up the idea of doing this project before this week's big hockey news topic came out about the Ottawa Senators. And we have to address their situation. They, I, I don't know where you rank them, but they... In, like they were already on my bottom five and now they're dead bottom because the ownership <laughs> situation has just, it's gotten completely out of hand. They've, they've entered what Bill Simmons calls the Tyson zone where you would believe any story that comes out about Eugene Melnick and the Ottawa senators, your charity foundation is splitting off from your team because of a, a dispute over misappropriated funds. How does that, like, how does that even happen? You're you're a millionaire. Oh, he's you're, he's, you're a he's the Donald face. Trump of NHL owners. It's it's bad. It's horrible. But this isn't even like remotely close to Donald Sterling level horrible. But it's still he sucks. He's there's there's no winning in that situation anymore. And like it's it's the NHL. So you could put together a winner, but you'd be winning for him. And I, I just think that were I a fan of that team, I. I wouldn't even like I'd be I'd be elated, but you're like ultimately you're now you're just you know you're stuck with this owner for even longer. You know, if you take him out of the out of the equation and you look at what they have on their cap and on the books and long term, and then you look at what they're going into at the draft this summer, fall, whenever the draft is, and how many picks they have and, and the caliber of picks that they have, and then you look at the prospect pool that they already have. And you look at some of the young players that they have on the roster, you know, not great, but pretty good. It's, it's tempting. It's Canadian city, right? So like you said, all the Canadian cities automatically 10 out of 10 for your legacy. Um, if it just weren't for that owner though, it, it, it would be a lot closer to my top five than my bottom five, but he kind of, he's the trump card on it. And 
yeah, it's it's the most dysfunctional family in the NHL, and it's not even close. Yeah, I was actually shocked going through this process how it's the only really truly unsettled ownership situation in the NHL now. It's it's completely baffling. At one point, Melnick was the guy who literally saved the Ottawa Senators. He is the guy who benefited from a fan donating an organ to him. And now <laughs> his organ donation charity somehow found a way to only spend 5000 out of 1 million usefully according to the report that came out earlier this week what the hell eugene come on man he's he's a he's a train wreck man i mean he alienated daniel alfredson from that franchise he's gone in that he alienated him twice right yeah all right, so Ottawa's bad. We agree on that. Yeah, I, I don't know where you rank them, but they are my bottom team. They're number 31 out of 31. And if we – let's include Seattle. They're number 32 in a 31-team league. <laughs> Congratulations, Ottawa. So, Pete, who was uh, – who is your, your very bottom team? Um, I didn't have them so definely ranked, but uh... – I think San Jose is a team that no Minnesota is even worse. Minnesota. I don't really like what they have going on on their roster. I'm not a huge fan of their prospect pool. It's not in, you know, the bottom of the league. It's kind of snuck in the middle. Um, I look at how it was ranked on our Dauber prospects rankings. It ended up being ranked 15th overall, but I had it ranked a lot lower than some of the other writers too. So I think less of them than my colleagues. Uh, and then they've got a couple real bad contracts that they're stuck behind too with Parise and Suter. Um, I mean, those are just bad, especially Parise. Um, and I you know Minnesota's it's, it's a hockey state. So that's a plus, right? It's, it's, there's a lot of fans of hockey in Minnesota and it's, it's, probably pretty close to a Canadian mentality there where if you were able to make a winner in that city, you'd be adored and you'd never have to buy a drink in that city again for the rest of your life. But um, this, is, this is a lot of work to be done with that team. Um, and there's a lot of other teams that have a lot more going for them than Minnesota. So they ranked pretty low for me. Yeah, Minnesota, they weren't in my bottom five, but they're they're at the lower end of kind of the the middle, the meat of my rankings. Uh, for a lot of the reasons that you said, um, you know, farm, not that exciting, but they do potentially have a superstar coming in Kirill Kaprizov. So they were they were allegedly, yeah. Yeah, he could come over, um, but they're like the their cap situation and their actual roster. There's not a star there, and they've got these contracts that are bogging things down. So they were one of the lowest graded just team situations. Craig Leopold, the owner, pretty good owner. He's been I think he's been the owners for over well over a decade now. He's shown quite the commitment to his GMs over the years, although it became absolutely untenable with Paul Fenton. So they've churned over quite a bit there. But, you know, he stuck with, uh, with Bruce Boudreaux as the head coach, even through 
multiple GM changes. So he shows some dedication to his people and a willingness to spend. They brought in Parise and Suter and got them for cheaper than what they could have gotten elsewhere. So there is a little bit of, there is a desire to play in Minnesota. I don't know, kind of surprisingly, I would say. Um, and then, like you said, the market is one where your legacy would be huge, but they're not quite a big enough media market, I would say, that you would necessarily, like high school hockey might be bigger than the Minnesota Wild are in Minnesota. So legacy, not quite as high as a Canadian city, but definitely very high up there. And that pushed what is a bottom five roster situation. Like they're stuck in that nasty middle where you don't know when they're ever going to actually compete for cups. Yeah. Um, the, everything else that's going on kind of turned that around for me. So my number, well, we'll go with my number 31 team after Ottawa was the New Jersey Devils. Really? Yeah, their roster situation doesn't jump out to me. They've got a past his prime star in P.K. Subban bogging down the cap. They They've got a few other contracts I'm not that elated with. They've got a bunch of young talent on their roster, but are these guys game breakers? As it turns out, Nico Heeshear was probably closer to the Ryan Nugent Hopkins type of first overall pick than the John Tavares, Austin Matthews type of first overall pick. Jack Hughes also trending in that direction, even though it's it's only been one year. So there's, there's potentially more to be had there. Um, New Jersey... They, they're coming off of almost two decades of an amazing run. And they've kind of churned through some owners. They're new owners. They're the Philadelphia 76ers owners as well. And that group with Josh Harris and David Blitzer, like they've, I don't know, they've turned over a bunch of GMs in Philly. Part of that because of a ridiculous Twitter scandal that happened with, uh, with Colangelo while he was the GM of the team, but they've, I don't know, they've, they've run through a bunch of guys and uh, I'm just not a huge fan of that situation. I don't know if you're, they, they were able to pull in uh, Ilya Kovalchuk once upon a time, but I don't know if you have that much cachet as a landing spot destination. And I just, yeah, I don't think it's that great of a roster situation. Well, they didn't play very well this season so it's kind of hard to argue with your assessment of their current roster I'll give you that um however I don't really see a whole lot of gong show contracts on their roster Damon Severson would be at four million bucks not too attractive and Corey Schneider's got um another two years on his six million dollars but I think it's safe to say he'll be in the minors for that um P.K. Subban, two years at nine, but nothing like super too long, right? Nico Heischer is a long-term contract, but he's 21 and it's only 7 million bucks. So I'm, I'm cool with that. Um, they have a couple of, of pretty good young players. Uh, Nikita Gusev's only 27, so that's not too young. But you got Joey Anderson, Heischer, Hughes. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for a, a star to be named. Uh, well, I think Jack Hughes is going to be a star, but that remains to be seen. 
Um, he had a, a rough first year and maybe the NHL wasn't where he should have played last year, but hopefully that doesn't taint him and, and take away the potential that he has. Um, so they got some good guys on the, on the roster now. Um, Joey Anderson is well up front. He's not a star, but, um, you know, making the NHL roster under 21 is good. And then they've got a lot of really good, um, prospects coming up. Ty Smith, Foot, Kukinen, Boquist, Ball, Walsh. Um, so they got good depth there. And then uh, they have three first-round picks in this coming draft as well. So they've used – yeah. Well, I think the criteria for those conditional picks has been met, hasn't it? Vancouver still has to win their matchup against the aforementioned Minnesota Wild to right. have that pick in Bay. Uh, I like the chances of that. Even if they don't get it this year, it'll defer to the first round pick next year, which is still good. Um, yeah, they've like they've they've got some stuff, but all those building blocks actually have to turn out, and like all those prospects that you named, let's say fifty percent of them actually land, and I'm still waiting to hear a, a star player be named. Jack Hughes definitely there's there's star potential there and like I'm not as in love with that situation as I am with a lot of the other um, ownership situations in the NHL yeah and I didn't put them in my top five they're not in my bottom five either yeah they're 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 pretty darn low for me Um, just not as low as Ottawa Uh, who did you have next on your list um uh, san jose i think um i don't like the way that their roster is going they've got some bad contracts there they're getting older and their prospect cupboard's pretty barren they're in a non-traditional hockey market so uh, they got some weather going for them it's a nice nice place to live geographically speaking um but in terms of of current roster salary cap situation and prospects that they have it's pretty bleak i think so san jose would probably be pretty low on my list yeah san jose the it's not the best roster situation i think out of all of the teams that didn't make the 24 team play-in format they're probably the most primed to turn things around they have some star players established there. They've proven themselves to be a market for bringing in free agents. They're very committed to their GMs. I think they've maybe only had two GMs in their franchise history. Doug Wilson took over for Dean Lombardi, and he, he's been there for well over a decade. And they have this push from ownership that we have to win every year or we won't draw fans. And that push from ownership has allowed them to spend money and really try to go for it every single year. And it's resulted in a prospect situation that isn't great, but I think that there are a ton of ownership situations that kind of allow teams to continue cycling on that cycle of mediocrity that keep them in the draft lottery and San Jose isn't one of those places. So I think that just because I would love to live there and I think a lot of people would like to live there. I think, I think you've got a pretty good draw there. So um, they're more of a middle of the road type team for me. 
Yeah, and I certainly don't um, condemn the approach that they've taken over the last couple of years. They've they've been a very very good team. They've been a winning team, a competitive team, uh, and the Stanley Cup contender. Um, but only one team can win every year, and San Jose came really close. I just feel like their window is is quite shut now. Um, you know, Joe Thornton's 40. Logan Couture's on the wrong side of 30, and he's got multiple years left on his $8 million contract. Burns, Vlasic, Carlson, they're all over 30 as well and making fat stacks for the next, you know, five or seven years, whatever it is that they've got left on their contracts. Um, so it's going to be pretty tough to you know, use your geographical edge to acquire free agents because you're just not going to have cap room for them. So they're going to have to lean on young players and they don't have anything to lean on. There's no support there. So no, they're kind of, they're kind of willing as, yeah, as willing as ownership is to spend the money that it's spent. They don't have any money to spend. They can't buy their way out of this situation unless they can, you know, find suckers to take bad contracts and, you know, what does that cost you? That costs you first round picks. Just look at uh, Toronto and Patrick Marlowe. They had to give up this year's first round pick to purge that 6 million bucks off their books. And then, you know, trading away first round picks makes it really hard to recapture your youth. So <laughs> they're in a tight spot. Yeah. I also think with that franchise, there's a ton of upside. If you do win being the only California team that hasn't hoisted a cup yet. Um, you also, we, we talked about Eric Carlson and are you kind of under the impression he's on the backside of his career? Oh yeah. I okay, mean, so, I think he can still be an impactful player, but he's, he's older and he's injury prone, right? Like he's having a really hard time staying healthy. Uh, he's never been exceptionally good defensively. So if the offensive side of his game starts to wind down, what does that leave you with? It's, it's not an $11 million player, I'll tell you that. Yeah, so I've got this kind of idea that's been bouncing around in my brain for a while, thinking about how Timu Solane, when the lockout year happened, he ended up taking that whole year off. Like everyone else kind of went over and, and played elsewhere. He took the year off, and he went from injury-prone and burned out and then came back and had this whole second act to his career where he was a star again, well into his thirties. And that was phenomenal. And Carlson has been like, he's been going strong before he on one leg dragged the senators to the, within a goal of the 2017 Stanley cup finals and going on that playoff run, I think took a whole chunk out of him. But I think about what happened with did you watch the mcdavid documentary about his whole rehab situation in like the last game of the year last year he partially tore his acl i think blew out his entire pcl and had a crack in his tibia he was looking at surgery that would have cost him 11 months and instead they opted for this Let's wait and see if it grows back on its own approach. And you got to watch the documentary. It's so compelling what he went through. And so they're like, well, we can't do all these things while we're waiting for your leg to heal. So let's 
focus on all these other weaknesses that you had that we normally never would have been able to approach. And so now I'm thinking with all these teams that are basically going to have nine months off instead of the usual three to four months that they would have, they've already had like this whole stretch of time where they've been able to fuck off and just kind of rest and get back to zero. Well, now they could undertake this whole, if they want to, if they're motivated enough, they could undertake this whole like rebuild the machine approach where Carlson could come back as good or better than ever. And he could have this second act the same way that Solane had. And if Carlson is the type of player that I think he is, then I think he's going to do that. And he is primed to be the guy who takes advantage of this lockdown better than anyone else on these teams that are coming back for the play-in. They're paying him 11 and a half million a year, but if he's a superstar, then you've got something to build around there. That is an interesting theory. Um, I could absolutely see that happening. Um, I remember when Solani was playing year to year, right? It was like one year deal after one year deal after one year deal. He was signing when he was pushing 40 and still going pretty strong. Like he was not only an NHL player, but he was a fantasy relevant NHL player pushing 40, which was incredible. Um, but I remember a, an after hours interview with him on Hockey Night in Canada one night where they asked him, it was near the end of the season or in the playoffs, whatever it was, if he was going to go again next year. And he was like, I don't know. Um, we'll see. I mean, I, I love, I love the game. I love the sport. I love the lifestyle. And I love playing hockey and I love competing and, and, and the pay is really good. So there's a lot of reasons that I, I'd want to come back and play. He goes, but it, it, it's, it's a lot of work. It's hard work. It's a lifestyle commitment. And you know, I'm, I've been doing it for a very long time and it's get it every year it gets harder. And I remember you're a little older. I've been doing it a little longer. So, and every year it's, it's harder. Um, but you know, he, obviously he was a highly dedicated professional athlete that fed his body really well, um, worked out every day, never really took the summer off. Like if people think that the hockey players take the summer off and go to their cottage and drink beer and fish all summer, they're crazy. That's they just can't do that. Um, maybe, no, it was just uh, Chris Pronger. Maybe, a, maybe a week or two. Yeah, maybe. Or Bufflin. Bufflin did it during this season. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Eric Carlson could very well be that dedicated kind of player. And, you know, he might be able to work hard at his body and heal it up and come back strong the way Solani uh, did with his knees. Um, I'm not sure what the extent of the injuries that Carlson has been dealing with. But you know, if he can do that, then you might be right. He could do that. And that would certainly give San Jose something to build around. And it would make his $11.5 million contract easier to swallow if it wasn't just uh, an albatross or an anchor. But they still have a couple other contracts that are that are pretty expensive. And it doesn't help them recruit younger players that can contribute on entry-level contracts. All right. So my number 29 team. I've got uh, the Arizona Coyotes. Where did they, were they on your list as well? You bet. Yeah. I think like surprisingly their ownership situation has become fairly settled. I think they, they've had new ownership for two or three years now and they just committed 
like a, a new six-year deal for John Chaka, their GM. So that shows a little bit of loyalty there. Like they, they that's a huge uh, long-term commitment for a GM. I don't know too many GMs that get that kind of term. They've got a pretty good coach. Their their roster situation isn't all that enticing they're starting to pile up these contracts that if the players don't play up to them are not going to look that great but at least they're young players so they're probably be marketable and then that market i don't know how big of a draw it is in arizona um unless you're austin matthews apparently I don't know i just don't think there's that much upside if you do win there like as much as that franchise has never won I don't know if you're necessarily putting them on the map. Like Dallas Stars, no one even remembers their Stanley Cup win. Who was their GM at the time? Beats me. So right. Yeah, you could you could win it all and be, it'd still be irrelevant. It wouldn't put them on the map in Arizona in, in terms of the the sports landscape. That's for sure. Um, and they're a team that has been bad, quite frankly for a long time but during their their stinky terror here they've always had the one of the top prospect pools in the nhl they've always drafted high they've always had good prospects good players on 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 the horizon right but they've peddled them all the way they've traded a lot of them away some of them flamed out they hardly have any of those young prospects that were in their pool anymore on their organization and what they do have uh, on their roster isn't great right Phil Kessel's 32 um, uh, Oliver Ekman Larson is probably the next most commonly known player and you know he's okay he's well they have Taylor star. Hall but how long is he sticking around for right well I'm working on the assumption that he's gone yeah. Um, so that, then you look at what they have in the prospect pool. You're like, okay, so this is a team that's been bad for a long time. They should have some great prospects. Well, not actually. They don't really. Um, you know, yeah, Soderstrom. They've, they've never Yanny had the Yannick. good fortune of drafting really high. Kyle Turris is the highest they've ever picked. They picked him number three overall. And turns out that wasn't a great draft. That was really a one-player draft with Patrick Kane in 07. And yeah. after that, I don't know. They've got Barrett Hayden. He was the number five pick. Seems like he might be a, a very good player. He had a nice World Juniors. But, uh, Maybe, yeah. but I mean, you look at their first round picks that they've had that are gone. You've got Pierre Oliver Joseph, Dylan Strom's gone, Brendan Perlini's gone, Max Domi's gone, Henrik Samuelson has played three games, Connor Murphy, gone. Brandon yeah, Strom's another one. They got the they got the number three Mark pick in, in the McDavid Eichel draft. How unlucky yeah. is that? Yeah. Right. So yeah, I guess they've had a little bit of, of bad lottery luck and they've kinda kinda missed a little bit on on the drafting. They they've had a couple of players in later rounds that have that have been gems or or current prospects that look like late round or mid round gems, but They've certainly struck out on some other first round picks. So that that doesn't help. That has a lot to do with where they are as a franchise right now. And their cap situation isn't great either, as we talked about. So what is good about Arizona? The weather. 
Yeah, but like when it gets hot there, it it gets too hot. So I don't know. Uh, you're you're get, you're getting the reverse of uh, of northern Canada d- down there. I think um, that's why yeah. that's why there are plenty of snowbirds that go there for the winter and leave for the summer. Um, so you had Arizona on your list, so I'm going to bump to to my next team on my list, my number twenty eight team, uh, Buffalo Sabers. Right. On your All list right. as well, Pete. Well, they. <laughs> They were flirting with it. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. You know, one of the things that kind of tipped me away from it was one of my initial thoughts when I think of Buffalo is, is not an attractive place. I mean, it's right across Lake Ontario from me, but there is like a lot of cities, there's pockets of the city that aren't very good, that are a little bit dodgy. Um, And but there's other parts of the city in the suburbs that are just fantastic. And a lot of players that play in Buffalo retire there and swear by the city and say it's fantastic. So there is an allure to the city that, and it is a bit of a hockey town. I mean, it's just that because the team has been dog shit for so long, it's hard to, hard to cheer for a team that's been as awful and self-imploding as they are. I mean, you got your star player calling out pretty much everybody in the organization doesn't help. But I think the opportunity for a legacy could exist in Buffalo. So that kept them off my bottom five. Yeah, they had one of the higher legacy picks because this is a franchise that's been around for forever. What did they come in in like 71 or something like that with Vancouver? And they've never won at all. They've come close. And certainly this, like Buffalo is a place they can rally behind a team. It just so happens that those teams always happen to disappoint them, whether that's luck or what, whatever the case, but it's a hockey town. It's, it's a town, it's a great sports town. Um, there's a ton of legacy potential there. It's, it's almost right up there with, uh, with winning in Canada for me, frankly, but you're not going to be a huge free agent draw they've they've had to overpay and i mean most of the time free agents don't work out anyway but you're you're not necessarily going to be able to keep guys either like we saw them lose both danny briere and chris drury thomas vanek signed an offer sheet to try to leave there like it's it's a challenge to try to keep guys in buffalo or seemingly has been and not in love with the ownership situation do you think players Players want out because the geography of the city, um, the lack of fans, terrible ownership, or just the team that they happen to be playing on at that particular time was just terrible. Well, I mean, Briere and Drury left a back-to-back conference finalist team. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure what the factor there is, but I can tell you that I'm not a fan of what the, the Pegulas have going on there they've churned through so many gms and may, maybe warranted so but like at a certain point it's like you have to i don't know stick with a plan right stop hiring bad gms yeah um yeah they've just been churning through too many gms there like certainly they're they're a big part of buffalo sports and they they really believe in it they've you know they own both the bills and the sabers they're they're keeping sports in buffalo around it just I don't trust them to not fire me within a year if I can't put a winner on the ice. And 
well, I, I do like the idea of taking over a team with Jack Eichel and, and Rasmus Dahlin. There's not as much around them to deal with. And there is a massive anchor of a contract on that. Well, there's a few on that, uh, on that cap sheet. Yeah, Jeff Skinner's $9 million isn't going to age well almost immediately. Uh, so who, sure. who was next on your list? You should have two left, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, two and then a couple that were Dishonorable mentions? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're good right now, but not for long. Um, so I think the next team on my list would be, uh, Columbus, uh, very reminiscent of, um, Minnesota. So not a, not a good team, not a bad team, kind of one of those stuck in the middle. What do they have on their roster right now? That's attractive. Nothing. Um, and then what do they have coming in down the pipe? That's attractive. Oh, let's see nothing so they're devoid of of star players um columbus is in ohio not really a hockey hotbed so what's your legacy upside there i don't i don't think very much i don't know what the tax situation is in columbus um i don't think it's worth writing home about so what's your opportunity to attract free agents at the moment uh i'm not, I'm not seeing it there so I'm not really sure what the attraction to Columbus would be. So that's why they're in my bottom five. For me, uh, I think one of the factors that I was considering and, and you really weren't was ownership. And I think they've had the same owner since the franchise's inception. And they really haven't churned through that many GMs. They started, I believe, with Doug McLean. And then John Davidson took over and he brought in his successor in Yarmo Kikalainen. And Kikalainen's been there for many years. Like they, as much as it's a franchise that has had no success, they won their first playoff series in franchise history last season. Um, they've had a lot of stability from ownership. So I like that situation. Kikalainen, as much as he is a legend in hockey spheres. I don't know if taking over for him would necessarily be an impossibility. Um, Columbus, decent hockey market. I think uh, I think you would you would have a nice legacy if you won there. Certainly, if you won more than one playoff series there, you uh, you would have a lot of fans of your work. Um, and then, like as yeah, for stars, they've got some stars on the back end, and they've got who I think is challenging for the most entertaining goalie in the league in Elvis Merzlikens. And they've got maybe the best goalie pipeline in the NHL with Ve Vevi Venelaivan, however you say that goddamn name, um, <laughs> and Danil, Danil Tarasov, and they've got a handful of other guys coming through the pipeline. They, It's not the most attractive. They were middle of the road for me because I like that ownership situation. Yeah, I guess it's difficult for me to decide if they're a hockey market or not because, well, they've just, they haven't won anything since they've been in the NHL. They've been losers or middle of the pack at best. Um, like you said, they won the first playoff round for crying out loud. Um, so, hey, maybe it's a, 
it's a desperate hockey fan base that just needs a team to give them something to to rally around. Uh, winning cures everything, as they say. So, uh, anyhow, they made it into my bottom five because I don't see their cap situation being great. I don't see their roster being great, and their prospect pipeline is probably even worse. Ownership is nice. I'll give you that. And following Yarmo Kekalainen's act would not be a tough act to follow, right? You're not, you're not going to be in the shadow of, of greatness if you took over for him. Not to say that he's a terrible GM, but, I mean, he's not Steve Eiserman legacy. Yeah, for sure. But they do have a cannon, so, like, two points. Yeah, that's the best part of the whole franchise. Um, okay, so my, my fifth from the bottom team... The bottom four that I named were very clear, and then I kind of I had a, a much tighter pack after that. But I landed on surprisingly the Chicago Blackhawks. It is surprising. Tell me more. Well, so they they they're coming off of a dynasty. So what's the upside there? Ownership has been going from Bill Wirtz to Rocky Wirtz has been massive for that franchise. They, that, that whole dynasty maybe never happens without, without that changing hands. But I still don't love what's been taking place behind the scenes there. Like they've turned through a few GMs going into that dynasty. And then they, there was a whole bunch of GM and ownership meddling with the coaching and all that stuff. So I, I don't love all that behind the scenes stuff as much as Rocky Wirtz has been a huge boon for that franchise. They were, they were having such horrible time not being able to get their team, get their games on TV in Chicago fans, not showing up to the arena. Like this was one of the downtrodden franchises and they completely turned it around. So there is a lot less upside in that now. And they've got the, fading remnants of that dynasty still clogging the cap sheet there they've got some nice young talent um but ultimately i just don't think there's a there's a whole lot of legacy as much as chicago is a hockey town and if you win there you'll do well but i just don't see the legacy upside and i think it's going to be quite the project actually rebuilding that team yeah i don't uh I don't know if I disagree with much of that, especially the whole legacy part. Um, they're doing a they're doing a, a speedy rebuild, like a rebuild on the fly kind of, where they're not trying to tank it out, but they're using trade and other methods to try and acquire some some prospects. You've got Kirby Doc, who played in the NHL last year. I don't think he should have. Uh, you got Ian Mitchell coming out of NCAA. Um, uh, Sakura, Evan Barat, and a couple more NCAA alumni that they've got trying to crack the roster. Michael Tepley was a really good pick that cut his teeth in Winnipeg last year for his first year in, in North America. Um, maybe not the fastest player, but he's got everything else going for him. So they got some some players on the horizon there, and they still have some some players on the roster too. Their their legacy players, Kane and Taves, and they got a couple other players that are have a little bit more tread on the tire, like the Brinkett that are exciting. So th- they got some stuff going on. Um, yeah, they didn't make my bottom five, but I can see your arguments. Yeah, so who who was the last team in your bottom five there, Pete? Well, it was a three-way tie. 
like I said. So I'll let, I'll let you choose the team you want to talk about. Um, Pittsburgh, Washington, and Florida. Uh, Pittsburgh, they were a uh, dishonorable mention for me. So, again, surprisingly, because they're primed to win right now. Yeah, Pittsburgh, they have the, the win-now window is still open, right? They, they're, they're trying to win now. They've got Crosby, Malkin, Latang. they got a couple other players that are pretty, pretty capable of contributing. Matt Murray, maybe, he's already got a cup ring. Um, but like when Crosby and Melkin age out, the bottom's going to fall out. There's nothing else there. They've drafted low. They've traded draft picks. Their prospect cupboard is barren. You've got um, Poulin and that's it. Um, so there'll be a slow rebuild for them once they get rid of Malkin and Crosby um, by, you know, draft lottery rebuilds and, and building through the draft for a long term. Um, their legacy situation, well, you know, they've had two dynasty runs already. So what we do be like the third dynasty <laughs> GM on the list, uh, they'd be running out of banner space to fit you up. And then as far as the city goes, I've never been to Pittsburgh, so I can't really comment on it. It's just like, man, it's not good. It's not bad. It's, it's pretty vanilla. Um, so basically they made it on the list because their window to win is closing. If you came in now and won with them, it'd be, well, man, they were already winning Stanley cup. So what did you, what did you do to, to help that? You just didn't fuck it up. Um, but that's going to be you. You're going to be the guy that screwed it up because they're old and the window is closing. So that'll fall on, on your watch as the GM, as, as the GM that tore it down and had to do a, a rebuild and made them crap again. So that's why they made my, my bottom. Five yeah. Inch. And the only thing I would add to that is just the fact that until Malkin and Crosby and those guys showed up and turned things around, this was like, if they didn't win the Crosby sweepstakes, there's a reason that everyone thinks the Crosby sweepstakes were rigged for the penguins because everyone thought the penguins were on shaky ground, even sticking around in that city. So as much as they've been settled ever since that Crosby pick, I don't know that once he retires, that team doesn't land back on shaky ground and, and maybe you're dealing with a team that's suddenly potentially going to move. Right. Yeah. If they win the, the draft lottery this year, then they, they got a chance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That I don't know if they have a lottery ball or not, but I hope not. Uh, well, they could if they lose to Montreal. It's like a one point one point three percent chance or something like that. Well, okay, so that lottery situation is even crazier. So, the NHL is doing the lottery. I think it's on June twenty sixth, actually. Um, yeah, so two weeks from now, and they're going to draw as though the the odds are the same as they were last year, but instead of having team placards knowing who eight through 15 in the lottery would be instead those are just going to be blank nhl logos and if any team of those H, team g yeah a hundred percent and if any of those teams yeah. win they will move up an nhl placard will move up into the top three and then they do a second phase of the lottery and all the teams that lose in the play-in round have an equal chance at winning 
So the odds previously that were there go out the window. So I think it's like a 25% chance of one of these picks moving up into the top three. And if that happens, chaos happens. So I'm rooting for chaos. <laughs> I thought you might say that. All right, let's talk top fives. Yeah, top five. So who who is your number five team? Uh, again, I didn't really have them ranked, but I'll go with the obvious one in my top five. Toronto, total fanboy, biased opinion. Um, they got a great young roster, not a great prospect pool, um, and they have some cap issues with that roster. Um, but, you know, they're a, a young, offensive, exciting, sexy team. Uh, they're fun to watch. They score a lot. And no matter what you do in Toronto, you're going to sell out the rank. And they've got the largest fan base in the league. And if you end the Leafs 50, whatever it is, year drought, 60 years maybe now, uh, of not having won a Stanley Cup, um, can't have a better legacy than that in hockey, I don't think. Um, it's kind of a kind of a big deal. Ownership is is very well healed, and they're not hockey fans. It's corporate ownership that is mega mega rich. So you'll never have money problems. You're never moving, and they don't interfere with hockey. They don't have a say in the operations. So there's a lot of leeway there. Yeah. So I ended up having Toronto on my spreadsheet in a three-way tie with Anaheim and Philadelphia. And I ultimately broke that tie and put them into my top five because of that legacy factor. I had them on my spreadsheet as a 10 out of 10 on potential legacy. But in Toronto, it's a, there's another chart there that you have to hit. So I made them an 11, broke the tie and put them in there because it just, it just be different than anywhere else and there's every other canadian city hates that fact but it's the reality hey watch a leaf road game and pretty much no matter where they are fans are chanting go leafs go no doubt uh so number number four on your list pete uh Let's see. Uh, I also like uh, a lot of teams. Again, I didn't really have them in a hierarchy, but and this might be your number one, but I, I got to go with Colorado. There's okay. a lot to like. Colorado there. was my number two. So why, why were they up there for you? Uh, it'd be a great place to live. And they are a very good competitive young team with a very good deep prospect pool. And um, I think it's a pretty decent hockey town too. I mean, they had their, their run. They had a, a Stanley cup run. I wouldn't say they're, no, they're not a dynasty. What they win one, two cups, one cup and one final two cups, two whatever cups. it was. Yeah. Two cups. It's been pretty far removed. So they're, they're hungry and they've been terrible for a long time. So for them to become good and relevant again, um, is exciting. I mean, they're already good and relevant again, um, but just. So if you came in now, you'd, you'd still get some credit for taking them from good to great and, and winning a, a championship. And I think they've got dynasty potential written all over them. Like I said, they've got a really good roster. You got McCarr, McKinnon, Landis Cog, uh, and then they've got a whole bunch of other 
good prospects coming down the pipeline too. So uh, it's good. It's going to get better. Now is now is a good time to buy stock in, in Colorado general management. <laughs> yeah, I also, I like the owners, uh, the Crankies. They also own the Denver Nuggets. Uh, they've been fantastic owners. They've shown a, a lot of stability in that community. They've kind of, they've, they've done a good job of sticking with their GMs. I did knock Colorado a couple of points because you would be replacing a franchise legend in Joe Sackick as the GM that might not go over that great. But then again, they've moved on from franchise legend Patrick Waugh at head coach and have been just fine there. So they, they had one of the highest roster makeup grades uh, out of any team on my list. It's a great place. I don't know if they're a huge free agent draw. They were in on Artemi Panarin this summer, but he was bound and determined to go to New York. And that's where he ultimately landed. But they've got a great cap situation. So maybe someone else would be interested in landing in Denver. I know I would. Um, and yeah. yeah, it just, it, top to bottom, it seems like a excellent place. Um, my number four, I went with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, they're on my list. So starts with starts with ownership, Jeff Vinnick. If all the media is correct on this, he's maybe the best owner in the NHL right now. He, along with Iserman and Brisebois, completely turned things around for that franchise uh, as they were looking, they, they, they were tumbling into irrelevance a little bit after the lockout and they, they turned things back around there. Excellent roster. Like I said, they're the favorites to win the cup. So if I was able to step in and take over and be able to take credit for that cup win, that'd be awesome. Um, they're going to, they're facing some cap issues, but they've still got a decent pipeline. They they're, they've got a lot of stars locked up. No one's making more than 10 million. So it'd be a great situation. Tampa Bay, you've got the, you've got the tax situation in Florida. That's very favorable to them. They've been a destination they got Kevin Shattenkirk for a below market deal. They've been able to get guys on below market deals. They've got this reputation for being able to kind of lean on their, their younger players and get them to sign favorable bridge deals. So it's just a whole situation that is a well-oiled machine to be able to step in and have a ton of success. Yeah. The only, um, the only chink in the armor I see there is their prospect pool has been depleted a little bit. Um, but they don't really, another thing I like about Tampa is they don't rely solely on draft picks. They will roll the dice and sign prospect free agents. Um, and they've hit a couple home runs doing that too. Um, so they got a pretty good scouting staff and they haven't drafted well for a few years now. So that has something to do with, with why their prospect pool is a little depleted and traded one or two first round draft picks in the last five or six years too, whatever the, the actual number is. Um, the thing that I think concerns me about their prospect pool is they have a lot of nice players, character players, guys that are, you know, two way players um, that have a better NHL upside than a fantasy upside. Um, and that's all well and good to have those players, you know, you, you win with, with players like that. Um, 
but there's no one coming down the pipeline there that is a star player, right? That's going to, when your Stamkos's and Kucherov's age out, they don't have anything coming down the pipe that, that they can hang their hat on saying, this is going to be the, this is going to be our guy. And in, in 10 years, this guy's going to be great. They got a bunch of guys who will be in the NHL, but none of them will be great. So right. that's the only thing. I, I would, I would count on their stars that are established having a nice runway uh, similar to stars like what we've seen in Pittsburgh and being able to carry that franchise for a few more years, uh, long enough that you can kind of entrench yourself and not worry about immediately getting fired. Um, number three on my list, I went with the New York Rangers. Yeah, they're on my list. So it, it sure seems like all the heavy lifting has been done. They were a top 10 team in the second half when they got healthy. And we haven't even begun to see half of the fruits of the teardown that they did. Number one and number two in last year's draft, uh, they both stunk this year, but they both at least played in the NHL. So there's that. So maybe Capo Caco has, he still has that upside, right? And he basically did next to nothing for them. They've got a deep prospect pool and a ton more picks on their way. You've got a superstar up front in Artemi Panarin. He's paid like it, but he still also performs like it. So that's wonderful. You're starting to build out the depth of your team. You don't have that many anchors. They got rid of most of the the anchor contracts on their deal. They've got what might be a number one defenseman in Adam Fox, and they've got a whole bunch of other good defenders around him. They look like they've got a number one goaltender in Igor Shesterkin. So this is a fantastic situation to be coming into. Jeff Gordon did all the heavy lifting for you. Now you just got to pilot that ship home. Yeah, uh, Jeff Gordon is, I, I really tip my hat to him. When he took over, the. every time a GM takes over a team, it's always a sinking ship, right? No one inherits a team that's in the situation that Colorado's in. So he, in short order, has Except turned Stan that Bowman. team around. Okay, <laughs> there's always an outlier. Um, you look at the contracts he's been able to clear out. Some of the trades he's made were great. Some of the draft picks he's made were great. Um, and he's taken an, a barren prospect pool and turned it around in two years and made it one of the more enviable prospect pools in the NHL. We have them ranked fourth overall, and they're a good team currently. Um, they didn't stink it out and, and get first round pick after first or first overall pick after first overall pick in draft lotteries. You know, they're not doing the Quebec Nordiques method. The Arizona method, where they're just terrible for a long time. It's uh, they're a model franchise for how, in the cap era, with youth and prospects, you can turn your fortunes around in short order. And at the same time, they've shown really good loyalty to legacy players like Henrik Lundqvist. Right? A lot of teams or fans or wannabe GMs would have said, oh, you should trade at him two years ago when he still had value. Now he's just riding out into the sunset and you're going to get nothing for him. Well, that's not, that's not a bad thing, in my opinion. Yeah, and I'd also note ownership. James Dolan, terrible NBA owner. He, is, he doesn't meddle that much, but when he does, 
it's always in the worst way. He kicks franchise icons out of the arena and bans them. Whereas with hockey, he has owned the team for decades and it barely gets mentioned other than the fact that he's a terrible NBA owner but doesn't meddle with the NHL at all. And I would also add, you've got, if you're taking over, you've got the best arena maybe in the NHL in MSG. So that's just a nice little bonus. Most every single team has their arena situation settled, but um, a few that don't, like Arizona, they still haven't built that new arena. Ottawa needs a new arena. Even more reasons why they're at the bottom of this list and not the top. Um, So who was next up on your list, Pete? Uh, It kind of pains me to say it, but the Boston Bruins are in a bad situation. They're a winning team. They've got a good contract situation. There's their cap situation is really good. Um, their prospect pool isn't great, but it's not bad. And it's Boston, their original six team. They've got legacy there. They have won recently, um, and they've been a good team for a long time. But I still think that you've got an opportunity to do good immediately in the like the short term and in the medium term because they don't have players who are over 30 with nine years left on their contract to $10 million or anything like that. So you can manage your cap situation really nicely. And they've got a few players uh, in their system um, that could contribute as well uh, coming up. So there's, there's a lot about Boston that I like. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I don't follow NHL ownership as closely as you do. Um, so I had, if you haven't noticed, I haven't really had a lot of opinion about a lot of the ownerships. Boston is not an exception. Um, but I like where they are. I like where they've come from and I, and I, I like where they're going too. It's not like they're going to tank out like Pittsburgh and Washington are. So, um, so Boston made my top five. Yeah, they were, they weren't in my top five, but certainly it's, it's not a bad situation to be landing in. Jeremy Jacobs, their owner is, he's one of the very long time owners of the NHL and he's infamously wields uh, quite a bit of sway at the ownership meetings. Uh, he has Bettman's ear, that sort of thing. He's, I don't know, it's hard not to kind of think of him as a negative just in some of the anti-player things that have come out uh, about him and, and he's always one of the one of the guys who's constantly pushing back about uh, about changes with the CBA and stuff like that that would be pro player but that's what owners do so so didn't totally rule him as a negative but not necessarily as a positive the way I would with uh, someone like uh, Jeff Vinnick or or some of the other excellent owners um so we mentioned number two on my list, uh, Colorado already. So I've just got my, my number one. Uh, how many do you have? I think you still got two left, eh? Uh, maybe. Okay. Well, let's go with, uh, let's go with your number one. Who is your number one? My number one was Toronto. So we've already covered them. Fair enough. Uh, but another team that would be on my list would probably be Vegas. Vegas. Okay. Um, they took a bit of a hit because they've already churned over their GM. They went from George McPhee to, uh, Kelly McCrimmon. So how long until you're getting shuffled up to the president's booth? They also 
not as disgracefully as Florida did with Gerard Gallant. They were having a winning season and they still canned him. Uh, maybe yeah, for that the was better, shocking. a lot of people would say that they really did upgrade with Peter DeBoer. Um, but ultimately, they're, they don't have any massive Albatross contracts. They've got a nice prospect pipeline. Vegas would be a great place to be. But they don't have a great cap situation. Their team is starting to age out. And in terms of legacy, I don't think you're getting credit for that team uh, just because they're so new. Yeah, and when I think of the word legacy, there has to be some history behind it, which is why, you know, Boston, I, I said an original six team can't get much better legacy in the States than that. Um, Vegas doesn't have any history. They got three years. Um, and those first three years set the bar pretty high. Uh, <laughs> you know, making the Stanley Cup final that was an expansion team is, that's a legacy. Um, so to follow that, you pretty much you have to win the Stanley Cup, um, maybe even twice to have a legacy in that town. So, uh, and is it really a hockey market? Like, what kind of legacy are you going to have there? Um, they've only been around for three years. So, but another pro is they don't have any competition with pro sports. So that entire city is dedicated to hockey. Until the NFL shows up there this fall. Is that is as soon as this fall? Oh, yeah. Oh, well. The Las Vegas Raiders. <sighs> well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, you mentioned the bar being set so high, and that's kind of what I was getting at with Vegas. And it's also why I ruled out Seattle as much as it would be awesome to blaze your own trail as Ron Francis is set to do in a year's time, and they've made all these progressive hires. Ultimately, Vegas set the bar way too high. You can't come out and be a losing expansion franchise. You have to come out of the expansion draft with a playoff team. And He's I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. Yeah, he does have his work cut out for him, that's for sure. But I thought he was unfairly dismissed in Carolina. I think Carolina's prospect pool and their roster is as good as it is because he made it so. Um, yeah, he was a part of that for sure. Um, yeah. The penny-pinching owner was definitely a reason why I did not have Carolina ranking near the top because they've made some progressive hires as well. They seem to be doing thing like they like I said they have one of the best roster situations uh the whole scope of it but just Tom Dunnan the penny pinching owner is how I will think of him until they win I guess and even then I don't know and also like just the way that the media is with their analytics staff and how Don Waddell he gets no credit for anything that's been happening in Carolina since he took over and they just give it all to Tulski and the analytics staff or the owner or Ron Francis. And that's just a losing situation to be the GM, apparently. Um, I don't know. I'm starting to talk myself into Carolina's bottom five. Um, let's, <laughs> let's spin this thing around. My number one, not the best ownership situation, potentially volatile situation, as we've seen, uh, the Vancouver Canucks. All right. They do have uh, 
Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes to build around. They got a couple of really good goalie prospects. They got a number of other good prospects. Um, Canadian legacy is high in Vancouver. Uh, so you can't go wrong with that. Uh, what am I missing? They came in at the same time as Buffalo. They haven't won a cup. They've come ever so close a couple of times. You mentioned the stars. They have been a decent enough draw for free agent players. You you can bring players in. Um, they've got a nice prospect pipeline. Also, who wouldn't want to live in Vancouver? I was just there for the draft, and I was staying at a buddy's house, and he's had a bunch of people over, and they were going in and out of his patio door for darts and coming back in for beers and out for And his patio door was open all night long. And this is late June. And I was like, Ainsley, don't you like, are you in your house be full of mosquitoes? Like, why are there any mosquitoes here? He's like, we don't have mosquitoes. Like, what? <laughs> Couldn't believe it. So let me get this straight. In the winter, you guys don't really get snow. And in the summer, you don't really get mosquitoes. Why am I not living here? I have a Canadian citizenship. I, I can live in Vancouver. Why am I not living there? It is a great place to live cloudy yeah. and rainy a lot but you know it's rainy and cloudy five out of seven days but that's okay i can live with that you got mountains you got ocean you got no snow in the winter no mosquitoes in the summer it's pretty sweet yeah the number of times i've been on a deployment with uh with forest firefighting to bc and i've been to some absolute magnificent places in that countryside they've got the mountains they've got some sections of desert they've got wine country they've got it's just it's absolutely marvelous they have the ocean they have beaches like it just and they have no mosquitoes and it's just every single time i go i'm like ah oh, i could do this and um, obviously you wouldn't get that much of that uh, as a gm you'd be in the city you'd be on the phone but uh, you you would be able to escape like there's a reason that it's like 90% of the NHL, I swear to God, is either in Toronto in the summer or in Kelowna. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good place. I don't, uh, I don't argue with, with them being in, in your top five. You've got a lot of key ingredients there that, you know, you check the boxes on, on your criteria list, legacy, prospects, current roster is, is competitive. It's on the brink of being a contender um, with more help on the way. Beautiful city. Yeah. What's, what's not to like? Beautiful British Columbia. They put it on a license plate. And they didn't screw it up. <laughs> so that's our list. Our, our top five, bottom five GM destinations. Please let us know. Yell, scream at us campaign for your teams why why should they be higher and lower on our lists tell us how we screwed this up yeah exactly <laughs> uh, i'm sure we did i i say this every time on the pod i'm a moron so tell me why um pete this was a ton of fun i'm, I'm so glad i had you on the pod again we deviated a little bit we didn't redraft we drafted <laughs> situations rather than players yeah yeah thanks for having me on man uh, it's always a good chat yeah, absolutely. And I understand. I think I'm going to drop this pod tomorrow. I'm going to hit the editing bay hard. From the sounds of it, the Dauber Prospects report is dropping tomorrow as well. 
So why don't you plug some stuff? Sure, yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, the Dauber Prospects Report does come out tomorrow. I was really happy to be able to contribute to that again. Um, if you've got it in the past, um, you know what I'm talking about. So it covers off every team's um, fantasy-relevant prospects. Uh, it has an extensive breakdown of the entry draft players. Um, and if you're in a deep and it's fantasy focus, right? So if you're in a deep um, fantasy league, like the one Steve and I are in, it's really essential reading. Um, you have to have it because, you know, the, the, the teams that we build in our fantasy, it kind of tries to mirror the NHL and just kind of like what we've been talking about on this podcast, you got to do that through the draft and you got to have a pipeline of players coming up to insulate your high cap fantasy owned players that you have that gobble up your space and drive the engine on your fantasy team. So this is a great tool to find out who the next kids are that are coming up and who to own and who not to own and how long it's going to be until they arrive. What's their fantasy upside, et cetera. Another project that I'm releasing right now that's a little bit similar is the organizational prospect rankings. I've been releasing editions of this every Monday for the last three or four weeks uh, with about a countdown from 31 to one, about five or six teams per article and um this monday coming up will be teams nine through four and then next week will be the top three um and i referenced some of the rankings on this episode a little bit so uh, if you want to catch that just go to dauber prospects it's in the feature section and if you just start at the first article they, they link all the way through so uh, it should be an easy chain to follow uh, you'll need some time because there's a lot of a lot of writing each team gives you um, a prospect depth chart a top 10 list with a comment on each player and then um, an organizational outlook so a little comments that varies from team to team whatever you know who the top players are how they how they've drafted uh, how the the contributors who helped me create this ranking, how we were, we voted on certain players, and in some cases it's pretty consistent. In other teams, there's there's a wide disparity of who we thought the top prospect or the top five prospects on certain teams were. So that was pretty interesting. Um, uh, the people who contributed were um, uh, Braden Olofsson, myself, uh, Tony Ferrari, Cam Robinson, um, Pat Quinn and Yoki Nevalainen. Um, so we each contributed our top 10, gave each player a score, that gave us a team score, and then we ranked the teams accordingly following that. Uh, so it was a really, really fun exercise to do. I've really enjoyed it. And comparing my top 10 list to some of the other writers' top 10 lists has been um, interesting, to say the least. Uh, there's There's been some discrepancies. There's been some players who, you know, it, it kind of tells you, how you how your biases work so what what positions or what players do i like north american players more than some of the other guys or european players more so that was kind of interesting too but it's a good read check it out dauberprospects.com yeah that sounds like it's going to be a couple of excellent resources for us and I, i'm glad to hear that you were able to use it uh, for a little bit of personal growth i think that all of these projects should involve some kind of uh, some kind of learning, and that's why I'm I'm really pushing folks to to send us the feedback 
We're all trying to get better. Even as hobbyists, we are enthusiasts. And so we, we are striving to improve in these fields. So uh, Pete, once again, thank you so much for coming on and enlightening us. We'll check out those rankings and hope to have you on again. Anytime, Steve. All right, everyone, that's our show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please like, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcasts. It would really help the show out. Stick tap to Peter Harling for coming on the pod. I think this was a, a really great episode and a really fun exercise. Check him out over at Dauber Prospects, Dauber Prospects Radio, and pick up that uh, Dauber Prospects fantasy guide that drops today. Don't be afraid to send us your feedback. And stay safe out there, folks.